welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. How you doing? Okay, everybody stand up. I'm just gonna, like, gonna get a good look at you. <laughs> well, you're looking good, like you've had enough coffee today. Yeah, you're feeling lively. Awesome. Well, I am so honored to be here. I actually love helping to build things, so I was honored to be speaker at number one, and I'm just grateful for what God has done in gathering his daughters together at Sparkle. So thanks for being a part of the journey, all of you, and thanks for including me again on the journey. You're Amazing. You have great pastors here, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Just real deal people. I love doing life with real deal people. I live in a city of phony, and so I am so grateful when I get to meet real deal people. I don't got time for the fake stuff. Right? Okay. (laughs) Okay, take a good look at that girl next to you. Yep, she needs prayer. Okay. We're going to pray for her. Now, if you will grab her hand, but wipe the sweat off yours first, it'll make it better. You can cross the aisles like you really like each other here in Minnesota. (laughs) Father, I thank you for this amazing woman whose hand I'm holding. And I thank you, God, that your will is done in her life. I thank you, God, that your plans are the ones that succeed and the plans of the enemy fail. I ask God that you would bless her. Bless her in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, squeeze those cheeks. Either pair work for me. (laughs) And now you can sit down. You're going to get to be very friendly with that person. (laughs) Well, I am, as I said, so honored to be here, and I want to just commend you for being here. Thank you for taking 24 hours out of your life together, together. Something happens when the daughters of the king gather. So thanks for doing that. And, and my hope and my prayer is that you will hear something in, from the worship to the teachings to the items somewhere in the, these hours that we have together and so that you will leave inspired and encouraged to go back to your world and be ready not only to face it but to make it better. All right? Okay, there was a, there's an annoying chapter in the Bible. Well, there's probably more than one, but there's one, um, Proverbs 31. And it's just annoying. Uh, because how many of you have read that chapter? Like, who could be her? Right? She just seems like she has it all together, and she does everything, and uh, whatever. And uh, the part, there was a few things about it that were annoying, and in my Bible, at the top, it called her the virtuous woman. And I'm thinking, okay, virtuous, just that word, it sounds like someone who is quiet and does a lot of crocheting or something. (laughs) And I'm not that girl. (laughs) And so I thought, ah, can't be her. And so I'm just kind of wrestling with that chapter, and, and... Then there's another verse in there that, oh, actually, let me tell you what I discovered when I began to study that 
that chapter because God told me that she was the blueprint. Over 20 years ago, I began to walk out what it is to be a daughter of the king, and God said, you're going to have to open up that chapter. I'm like, really, that one? Have you read it? Because there's like a lot of problems in there. And he said, you're going to have to open that up because she is your blueprint. I'm like, And so when I began to study that, the, the word virtuous actually means a force on the earth. I love that picture. She's a force on the earth. And she's a force on the earth consisting of three things. Consisting of people, means, and resource. She's a force on the earth consisting of people, which means she knows how to do life with people. She knows how to connect. She knows how to build friendships. And she's a force on the earth with means, which means she knows how to make money and spend it. How many of you are good at part B right there? Okay. And then she's a force on the earth because she knows about resource. She's resourcing her mind. She's resourcing her life. She's not just a slug. She's a force on the earth. And all of a sudden, that began to be a little more attractive to me. But then I was reading Proverbs 31, verse 15. And it says, she rises while it is yet night. (laughs) And I'm thinking, nope. No, she doesn't either. She sleeps good while it is yet night. But once again, I began to study that verse, and I realized that it doesn't have as much to do with the time of day that you get up. But rather, when darkness and chaos and heartbreak and disaster around, she rises. She's not wilting. She's not complaining. She's not blaming. She's not looking for a way out. She rises. And I think God is looking for a company of she who will choose to rise even in the dark, chaotic times that we might find ourselves. Look at that girl next to you and say, you be the she that rises. The death and resurrection of Jesus changed the course of history. He was betrayed by the people he loved, by the people that he had served with. Anyone in here know the feeling of betrayal? Yeah, he was beaten and crucified and he died. He went through some really dark, shaking times, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. We actually can rise because he rose. And do you know the thing about rising is there is no rising. There is no resurrection without a death. So if you feel like you're in the middle of a dark, scary, perhaps shaking time, this is the perfect opportunity for a rising. In Isaiah 60, it says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. You. And then it says in the next verse, see darkness covers the earth. Good Lord, we can see that around our world, can't we? Darkness is covering the earth. It says, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. She rises. And first of all, she rises in royalty. What that means is she knows who she is. If we're going to be the she that rises, we have to know who we are. Psalm 45 says, daughters of kings are among your honored women. And so I don't know everybody in this room, and perhaps there are some of you in here, and you've been on this journey for years. Maybe you were here eight years ago when Becca started this, and you heard the message of the daughter of the king. And knowing that has changed your life. But maybe there's some of you in here and you've never heard that. You've never 
heard that you are royalty, that God is your father, you are a daughter of the king, and there is a crown on your head, regardless of what you've done and where you've been. There is a crown on your head. You are a daughter of the king. Psalm 31 says that your price is far above rubies. And Psalm 45, or Proverbs 31, says, verse 10, your, your, your worth is far more than rubies. And Psalm 45 says the king, your king, your God is wild for you. He's wild for you. She rises knowing who she is. That is the foundation of anything else we do. We won't be able to live out what God's called us to live out if we don't understand who we are. And so many times I see women making stupid decisions. Now, not you, because I know you're perfect here in Minneapolis, but (laughs) in L.A., people can make stupid decisions because they don't know who they are. See, when someone understands that they're a daughter of the king, they will treat themselves better. They'll pay attention to who they let into their heart because they're royalty. But you know, we're not princesses to be served. We are princesses to serve our father, the king. She rises in royalty. And she rises in wisdom. Proverbs 31, back to that chapter. Verse 26, it says, she opens her mouth in skillful and godly wisdom. And on her tongue is the law of kindness, giving counsel and instruction. Now, the Hebrew word for that is the word hakam, which means a divine perspective. You and I should be capable of giving the divine perspective, not just offering opinion, but rather wisdom to overcome life's challenges. A few years ago, I was getting on an airplane, and I had my boarding pass, and I'm headed to my seat. And right when I'm about to get to my seat, I notice that there is a woman in there, and I say, excuse me, ma'am, but you're in my seat. And she said, I know, I know. Um, is, that, is that okay if we trade seats? I want to sit with my husband. And I said, sure, fine. So we traded boarding passes. Now I have my second one headed to the next seat. And I get there and I realize that there's a gentleman in there. Excuse me, sir, but you're in my seat. And he said, I know, I know, but I need to do some work with a coworker. Is that okay? <sighs> sure. Third boarding pass. And now I'm headed to the seat and there's a teenage boy in that seat. I'm like, Hey, buddy, out of my seat. (laughs) And he looks at me and said, I know, I know, but is it okay, man? Because I want to play some games with my friend. Is that okay? Oh, sure. So he hands me a boarding pass. This is number four now. And I'm walking down the plane, and I see my seat, and it's empty. And so I get in there, buckle the seatbelt, I'm in. And then I happen to look, and there's a gentleman sitting next to me. And so I give him, you know, the airplane smile. And then I quickly pull out a book and I begin to read. And in international plain language, this means, don't talk to me. (laughs) Like, just in case you don't speak it, okay? So I'm reading. Well, within a few moments, this gentleman next to me looks at me and says, hi, my name's Bill, what's your name? He obviously did not speak plain language. And I looked at him and said, my name's Holly. And then he looks back at me and he said, well, what do you do for a living? (sighs) Now, personally, I find that question interesting because I think, you know what? I'm a woman, right? I do nine things before lunch. (laughs) Isn't that true, right? And so for me, you know, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a teacher, I'm an author, I'm a pastor, I'm a speaker, I'm a chauffeur, I'm a chef, I'm a lover. 
Anyway, <laughs> right? We have a lot of things that we do. And I honestly, I change my answer every time because I'm trying to keep my own self entertained with my life. <laughs> and so I just change it all the time. And you know, when you travel into another country, they often ask your occupation. Well, I put a different answer every time. I'm pretty sure that's illegal, and I might end up in jail, so come visit me. Just bring chocolate. But so one time I was flying into Sydney, and it's early in the morning when you land in Sydney, and I'm delirious at this point, and so I fill out on the occupation. I just went, lover. And I, I get to the, the immigration person, and it's a really young man. <laughs> and so I slide it under the counter and put my passport in there, and he just starts turning red. I could just see it, like the whole thing's turning red, and he just doesn't know what to do, and he's like stamps it and, you know, passes it back to me, and go, lady, go. And so all that to say, I'm not sure that's legal, but anyway. So now I'm sitting next to this person who asks me, what do you do for a living? And part of me is freaking out because... You know, what, am I, what do I say? And, and the, really what I want to do is give him an answer that's going to end this conversation. Because I'm in the middle of a really good book here, right? So what can I say that's going to stop this conversation? So I look at him and I say, well, actually, I'm a pastor of a church. <laughs> Jesus, blood on the cross, church, right? And then he looks back at me and he goes, I've been needing to talk to a pastor. <laughs> really? And now I freak out because I'm starting to think, okay, he's going to want me to break down the book of Leviticus, <laughs> right? Or explain the tribulations or something. So I start to panic. Then he looks at me and he said, well, actually, my wife and I, we just found out that we're pregnant with triplets, and our marriage actually isn't that great. So is there any tips you could give me? And I'm thinking, like, to myself inside, I'm thinking, well, yes. <laughs> right? I've been married to the same man for like 31 years in a row, okay? <laughs> And we've written books on relationships. We teach seminars all over the world on relationships. So yes, there's a few things, right? So I look at him, and you know what I've realized with men is less is more. And um, I'm not just talking about clothes, but that's true too. So I'm, I look at him and I say, well, you know, give him three simple little things that he can, you know, begin to work on. And then I pray with him, and we kind of end that moment. But do you see what happened that day? Is that God moved four people out of the way so that I could sit there and have a chance to open my mouth and offer a divine perspective, often offer wisdom. And I'm thinking, how many times does that happen every day and we don't pay attention? Right? We're so focused on our life and our situation that we're not realizing what God might be putting in place. He's moving heaven and earth to get someone to sit next to you because maybe you have the wisdom that can help that person get through a situation. So many of us have navigated challenges. We have paid a high price for the wisdom we have. 
Proverbs 5 calls it wisdom learned by actual and costly experience. You know, perhaps as a single mom, you managed to raise your children into responsible adults. That's amazing. Can I just say what I know right now is that within your circle of influence, there is another young single mom and she's terrified. She doesn't know what to do. She needs what you have to say. Can you open your mouth and offer wisdom? And then some of you, perhaps you've graduated college or gotten your master's degree. Well, what I know is that there's a young college student in your circle of influence and she's thinking of quitting. She needs to know what you know. Are you willing to open your mouth and offer wisdom? And then some of you in here, come on, one in four. Some of you in here have lived through tremendous abuse and you have found the path of healing. Well, what I know is that there is a woman in your circle of influence who is still trapped in it and she needs your help. Will you open your mouth with wisdom? Some of you might have had an abortion or dealt with an addiction of some kind and I imagine there is some wisdom that you could share. Wisdom, not just opinion. There's a lot of opinions going around. Opinion doesn't help anybody. Wisdom, wisdom. Your past can be used to give someone else a future but only if you're willing to open your mouth. She rises in wisdom. She rises in royalty, and she rises in wisdom. And third, she rises in freedom. You know, Harry Houdini was, is, is a famed escape artist from a number of years back, and he would issue a challenge wherever he went that he could, he could be locked in any jail cell in the country and then he, he claimed that he could get himself out of there very quickly. And he always kept his promise. But one time something went wrong. He entered a jail cell in his street clothes and the heavy metal doors just clanged shut behind him. And then he took from his belt this very concealed piece of metal, uh, which was flexible, and he set to work immediately. But something seemed to be unusual about this lock. And for 30 minutes he worked and he got nowhere. And then an hour passed, and he still had not opened the door. And by now, he was exasperated, and he was bathed in sweat, and he still couldn't pick the lock. And, and then finally, after laboring for two hours, Harry Houdini just collapsed in frustration and, and, and fell against that door, and he just couldn't unlock it. But when he fell against the door, it actually swung open because <laughs> it had never been locked at all. It had only been locked in his mind. And that's all it took to keep him from opening the door and walking out the jail cell. And what I've seen in women all over the world is that even though they've been given freedom in Jesus, they're not living in it. You know, on one particular day, Jesus entered the synagogue, as was his custom. He went to church. And it says he read from the book of Isaiah, and this is actually recorded in Luke chapter 4, and Jesus is reading, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, the anointed one, the Messiah, to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives, freedom to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to send forth as delivered those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, bruised, crushed, and broken down by calamity. Do you know what I think this might be the central passage of the gospel because right here that describes Jesus' mission on earth. 
And everything that Jesus did in the months and years following was acting out that verse. At the cross, God took all of the sin of all mankind and placed it upon Jesus. And Jesus hung on that cross between heaven and earth, and he paid the price, the penalty, for every sinful man, woman, and child. And as he hung there bleeding, at one point he yelled out, it is finished. And to me that translates, he yelled out, freedom. Freedom for you and freedom for me. He unlocked the door. And yet I wonder if we, like Harry Houdini, aren't living as if the door of our life is locked. Jesus came to set us free. Those of us who might be feeling oppressed and downtrodden. I mean, have you ever ever felt like that? Just crushed like you just didn't know what to do? Maybe you feel trapped in fear or an addiction. Jesus came to set you free. In Galatians 5, it says, in this freedom, Christ has made us free and completely liberated us. Stand fast then. You are free. So how do we do that? How do we rise in freedom? Well, in many cases, walking in freedom is a process. It's a fight. So don't quit. Don't quit. Part of the process is making different decisions or you'll end up back in the chains you were freed from. We have been freed, so how we have to live differently if we're going to live in freedom. Now, there are a number of areas that I think that we have been set free in, but I'm going to talk about one right now. I am free to be who God has created me to be, uniquely created, uniquely purposed. You know, creation (coughs) was all good. It was all good. And then we were created in his image, the Bible tells us. He formed every cell, every curve, every lash. Well, not mine because they're extensions, but you know what I mean. (laughs) And then he looks at us and he says we were very good. Not just good, but very good. Breathtaking, phenomenal. And in light of everything else on the planet that he created, he calls us his masterpiece. You and I, we each bear the mark of our creator. Whether we're tall or short, curvy, slim, thick, dark, light, Asian, European, native, African, Latino, multiracial, we all bear the fingerprint of our creator. Do you know, I've read articles of women from India paying to have their skin bleached, of Asian women undergoing eye surgery to make their eyes rounder. Who decided that light skin and round eyes were the definition of beauty? And then there's a friend of mine who is a mixture of a few races, and she told me that on With some friends, she's considered too light, and with other ones, she's considered too dark. And then some black friends of mine have explained to me the issue of good hair and bad hair. Good hair being the hair that is easy to be straightened. Who said that? Who said that? Do you see the lies that we believe? And then there's a story on the news a few years ago of some Japanese women having surgery to put a steel rod in their leg to increase their height. Who said that tall was beautiful? Psalm 139, this is David, and he writes this, and he's talking to God. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous in how well I know it. So tell me, why is it that we can look at flowers, all, all different, and call each one beautiful, and yet look at each other and not see the beauty? Why? We are each created as his masterpiece. The introvert, the extrovert, the risk taker, the cautious, the talker, the listener, each of us with a purpose designed to make God famous. Not us, but him. Whether we stay at home with kids, whether we work at an office, whether we play sports or sing songs, dance or teach from a stage, we're each free to live in the wonder of being uniquely created. We're free to be who we are, free from comparison, free to live out our life as the accepted daughter of the king. And for some of you today, just hearing that might be the key that unlocks the jail cell that has held you. I just think it's ridiculous how much we compare ourselves with one another. Listen, you don't need what the girl next to you has. She's amazing. God's equipped and called her to run her race. And he's equipped and called you to run yours. Like in the Olympics, we've be each been entrusted with a lane to run in. Every gift, every ability that you need to run your race is in the lane that he's assigned you to run in. Don't get distracted by the amazing person running next to you. Just cheer her on because she has to fight her own fights and believe God for the same things you do to get to the end of her race to hear, well done. Jealousy is the most stupid emotion there is on the earth and we're all guilty of it. See, that's the emotion that hooked Satan, jealousy. There's no reason to be jealous of one another. My job is to be an encouragement to you and cheer you on. Your job is to be an encouragement to me and cheer me on which may be perhaps why we need to be careful about the social media scrolling. Because listen, Instagram, it's so fun, but it's all of our highlight reel. Right, and then you're having a really bad day, and you're, you're just feeling weak perhaps, and then you scroll through somebody's life and you go, their life is amazing. <laughs> I wish I had their life. No, you don't. They're just not telling you about the junk they went through, about the persecution they endured, about the battles they had to fight. So quit comparing yourself. Just cheer them on. Or if it gets too hard, quit following them. Right? That was, that was a mother speaking. She rises in freedom to be who God has called her to be. Uniquely purposed. And she rises in gratitude. Now, everyone wants to be grateful, right? Who wants to be ungrateful? <laughs> well, the question is, what's your plan to become a more grateful person? How are you going to do that? Because no one just drifts into gratitude. You know, we say thank you when someone does something for us or thank you when we're given a gift, and we should. But if we start to think that we will be more grateful because we receive things or the more good things we have, the more grateful we'll become, then gratitude becomes a product of our circumstances. And gratitude is a decision of our heart, not a result of circumstances. I mean, have you ever noticed that two people can be in the same situation? Same job, same school, same Starbucks line, same church, 
and one of them is just filled with gratitude and the other is filled with grumbling? Perhaps it's because what some people perceive as a right, the other person sees as a gift. Gratitude. You know, Paul teaches us that gratitude is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. It says, this is God's will for you in Christ. A thankful heart, a grateful heart is more than a good idea. It is the will of God for his people. As a pastor, one of the number one questions I get asked by so many people is, what's God's purpose for me? What is God's will for my life? Well, you know, God's will for you, it's not mystical. Here it is. Give thanks in all circumstances. The first step is right in front of us. So many people are paralyzed. They can't figure out what the will of God is, so they don't take the first step. Well, the first step is be grateful. Find something to be grateful about. Maybe maintain a gratitude journal, and before you get out of bed, say just one thing that you can be thankful for. Maybe it's coffee that you're about to have. I don't care. But one thing to be grateful for. Create a list of benefits in your life and ask yourself, to what extent do I take these for granted? And instead, be grateful. How many of you are married? I mean, our husbands are wonderful, and we like them most days, <laughs> right? But sometimes what happens in a marriage is that you start to take each other for granted a little bit. And one of the first ways to break that is to find something to be grateful for about the person that you're married to. Find something to be grateful, even if it's, he has nice eyes today. <laughs> even if it's, I like those shoes. Find something to be grateful for. There's a man named Dr. Dale Robbins, and he writes this. He says, I used to think people complained because they had a lot of problems, but I've come to realize that they have problems because they complain. Complaining doesn't change anything or make situations better. It amplifies frustration, spreads discontent and discord. Complaining makes us miserable. In Psalm 77, David put it like this, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. So God is saying to us, don't wait to be grateful. Don't postpone gratitude until your situation changes or you've acquired whatever that thing is. If you can't be grateful now, you won't be grateful then. For gratitude is not a matter of what you have or the situation you're in. And if you keep saying, I'll be grateful when, then you never will be. Because as soon as that condition is met, there'll be a dozen more conditions that you want met. If you can't be grateful now, you'll never learn to be grateful in spite of how much you have or what you achieve or who you're with. She rises in gratitude. And you know, even the things that we most often complain about, let's give thanks. So I had to practice this. We had a couple of brutal years, slash couple of years, and which I'll tell you more about tomorrow. But I had to find ways to be grateful in the middle of everyday mundane things because I was so overwhelmed with challenge, I had to find ways to be grateful for. So I started a list. I said, I'm grateful for the traffic I'm driving in because it means I have a car. I'm grateful for the spot I find at the far end of the parking lot because it means I can walk. I'm grateful 
for a bad hair day because it means I have hair. <laughs> Listen, and all the cancer survivors know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm grateful for my water bill because it means I can get water by simply turning on a faucet. I'm grateful that I live in a country where the chances of me being beheaded for my faith are pretty small. I'm grateful for all the complaining I hear about our government because it means we have the freedom of speech. I'm grateful for scary, feel like throwing up, walk on water moments because it means I'm getting to use my faith. I'm grateful for dealing with challenges in relationships because it means I have relationships worth fighting for. I'm grateful for that alarm that goes off in the early morning hours because it means I'm still breathing. She rises in gratitude. Find a way to be the she that rises in gratitude. And my last one, she rises with hope. A few years ago, Philip and I were touring the ancient catacombs in Rome, and this is where many of the early Christians were buried. And on their tombstone, there was engraved different symbols, a shepherd, um, a fish, an anchor. And perhaps the anchor was because of this verse, which is the signature verse over the conference this year, Hebrews 6.19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Well, what hope was the author talking about? Maybe that God keeps his promises, that his love will never fail? Do you know, I've heard that people can live about 40 days without food and about three days without water and eight minutes without air, but they can only live one second without hope. And hope, hope is more than optimism. You know, in the New Testament, the biblical definition of hope implies a knowing, a sure expectation. And because when hopelessness fills your heart, death begins to take over. Death to your dreams, or perhaps death to a relationship worth saving, death to an idea. But the power of hope coursing through your veins can be your most valuable asset because it creates this tremendous force. You know, hope is not a luxury, it is an essential. Hope can change tragedy to opportunity. Worthwhile effort, it can make, it can make you feel invincible. Hope, and you know, hope, hope is for all of us. Not just those glass half full optimist people. Hope is not wishing. It is not positive thinking. Hope is a sure expectation that God will do what he promised he would do. You know, hope, hope is like floaties. Have you seen children in the pool, you know, wearing these little flotation armbands in order to keep their heads above water? Well, hope is like that. Hope keeps you floating until you get to solid ground. I have a friend who suffers from an eating disorder. And many people told her that she would always struggle with it. They told her that she might get help for a moment, but that the disorder would be a continual battle for her. And she was floundering in this storm and this feeling of hopelessness. And when I spoke to her just a few weeks ago, I assured her 
that there would come a day in which this would no longer be her issue. This would no longer be her struggle, that she could get free. I told her story after story of many women who had wrestled with this challenge and that they're now free. They had done the work of dealing with the issues in their soul. They had let the Holy Spirit come in and bring transformation, and now they're completely on the other side of it, healed. I reminded her that the same God who started the work in her would finish it. I reminded her of her value. And you know, my words of encouragement and hope and honestly, more important, God's words, put floaties on her. So what are you in the middle of that hope seems lost? And maybe you've lost your job. Maybe your husband had an affair. Or maybe you can't seem to kick that addiction. Or maybe your child just continues to struggle at school or your child has made a horrible decision and you don't know what to do. Or perhaps you hear the word cancer from your doctor, or maybe you just feel stuck in a job, or maybe you just wonder if this secret dream in your heart is actually ever coming to pass. How is hope possible? Well, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah had an answer. He said this. He said, I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. He's talking about a hurtful day or 10. He said, I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. Don't you love it when the Bible identifies with our pain? He said, but there's one other thing I remember. And remembering I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. You know, sometimes the most important thing you can do is to keep hoping. And oftentimes to keep a grip on hope will take both hands. So where are you drowning? Put on those floaties. It is not the end of the story. Look at the person next to you and say, put on your floaties. <laughs> you know, at one time, King David cried a lot of tears. In fact, it said he cried so much that he soaked his pillow with his tears. And in a sick sort of way, that makes me feel good about myself. And Psalm 6 is a great one when you're in the middle of a challenge because he begins that psalm by just talking about all the hard things, people coming against him, disease attacking him. And at the end, he acknowledges that God is God. His hope came from knowing that he was not in this alone. Neither are you. It might feel overwhelming to you right now, and that's understandable. But you are not alone. Because here's the thing. Whatever storm you're in the middle of, you're not alone. And sometimes the greatest hope comes when you realize that ultimately you're going to help somebody else get through this very same storm you're in the middle of. You know, for me, having navigated breast cancer, in the middle of it, it was a scary, can't see my hand in front of my face, dark kind of storm. But one of the best, one of the best ways I put floaties on, the hope that came for me was when I realized that one day I would be able to help other people navigate the storm that I'm in the middle of. So what you're in the middle of, don't give up hope because someday this will be your story. This will be what you, God will use to help bring other people through the storm. I, I like confetti. <laughs> I just do. 
I love being in a room when confetti cannons are launched. I just love it. I love it when there's so much confetti that you can just like do confetti angels. I know here you do snow angels, but we don't get that. So just confetti angels. I just love confetti. I mean, how can you not like confetti? It's amazing. I mean, unless you're the one that has to clean it up anyway. One of my favorite Bible verses in 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, In Christ, this is the message translation, In Christ, God leads, God leads us from day to day in one perpetual victory parade. I love this picture. And see, Paul, when he wrote this, he's referring to the victory parade that Caesar would give to honor his conquering generals. When they had won a battle, he would throw a parade and the generals would ride down the middle of the street and, and there were you know, horses in front and the army would get to walk behind this general and the people and there's people cheering on the sides, woohoo, high-fiving. I'm sure there was confetti too. Amazing. And they all were sharing in you know, the celebration that Caesar was throwing on behalf of this military leader. It must have been an awesome sight. But the picture that Paul is painting for you and me is this, that Jesus is our conquering general. You and I are a part of his army, and we get to share in his victory. And he leads us in one perpetual victory parade. We need to see ourselves riding in that parade. You might be in the middle of a dark, scary moment, but we're not trudging through a world of misery. It might feel like it, but because of what Jesus did for us, we are in nothing less than a victory celebration. We are not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a place of victory. So contrary to what others might be saying, get that confetti out. I carry a bag with me always. I'm actually not kidding. <laughs> and I will find it after I throw it. Down my shirt, in my purse, just everywhere. But you know what, I'm, why don't you, come on, get a little confetti because you can't frown when you have confetti. <laughs> so maybe you're in the middle of a scary dark time. I know what that's like. I know what it's like. So maybe in the middle of the dark time you go, okay, Jesus, I just got a terrible diagnosis, but I'm gonna trust you. My children are acting like lunatics, but I'm trusting you. <laughs> My friend just betrayed me, but I'm trusting you because you told me that I'm walking in the victory parade. So I don't know what you might be in the middle of. It's okay, I love it. I love it that an hour later, a piece will just do this. Have you ever been in an arena and there are people who are having a moment and then like some piece of confetti that probably was there about six months ago all of a sudden? I love that. Because <laughs> it always takes me to this verse. So I don't know what you're in the middle of, but you know what? You're in the middle of the victory parade right now. Might be a hurtful, painful situation, but you're not alone. And she rises. Are you in the middle of a hard time? perfect opportunity to be the girl that rises. She rises. She rises in royalty. She rises in wisdom. She rises in gratitude. She rises in hope. And you know, before I pray, actually, I just want to give away a couple of things. Did those girls make it? Oh, 
Okay, well, we're going to give these away anyway. Um, the newest book from my world that Becca mentioned is a book called Find Your Brave. And uh, I spilled my guts in this one. This was the hardest one to write because it was the costliest wisdom I had to navigate just in some really painful couple of years. And so I tell my story, but I tell it alongside the Apostle Paul in Acts 27 when he's in a shipwreck. And he makes some decisions that actually sees everybody get to shore safely. And so I took some lessons from him because I'm thinking whatever he did that saved all those people, we could probably apply it to our life. And so that's what I did, just some very practical tools about navigating everyday challenge and all the things that come our way. And then I, uh, this is also the latest devotional for me, Awakened. And I love devotionals. Anybody use devotionals? It's like a page a day. It's awesome, right? Just a thought and a verse and a scripture might be an encouragement to someone. And, and if you find me, I'm happy to sign either of them. Uh, I'm not sure it adds value, but I'm happy to sign it. And um, anybody in here and you're having a birthday today or this weekend? Can't, can't see anybody? Okay, happy birthday. We're going to go give that to her. Happy birthday. And now I want to pray. And if I could just um, get you to close your eyes. And the reason I'm doing that is just to shut out distractions and, you know, the social media scrolling will wait a few minutes and everybody else can wait a few minutes. Just be still before God just for a moment. Maybe you're in here and you... You are in the middle of a challenge. You're in the middle of a storm. You're in the middle of just a heartbreaking situation. You don't know the answers. You don't know what to do. You're just feeling a little overwhelmed by life right now. Then I just want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you from up here. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you. But if that's you, just so I know who I'm praying for, you would just put your hand up just so I can see it. Yeah, that's awesome. There's plenty of you all over the room. Father, I see their hands but you see their heart. And you know the situation and the circumstance of every woman in this room. You know the situation of every woman that raised her hands and she's saying she needs to sense your presence right now. And so, Father, I pray. I pray for every woman whose hand was raised. And I thank you, God, that the work that you have begun in her, you will finish it. I thank you, God, that she will keep a grip on hope. And I bind the spirit of fear in Jesus' name. You have no place here. I thank you, Father. Have your way, Lord Jesus, in their life. The plans of the enemy over their life will fail, and your plans succeed. I thank you, God, for the peace that passes all understanding, that it would rule and reign their hearts and their lives. I pray for reconciliation in relationships and marriages. And I pray, God, that each woman would get a new level of trust with you. She may not understand the situation or the circumstance, but she would get a new trust with you. And I thank you, God, that every woman is walking out her life knowing that she is the loved beyond measure daughter of the King.